Chapter 1 The year People magazine selected George Clooney as its sexiest man in the world, women in that part of the world known as St. Louis shook their heads. Their first choice was Nick Moran, hands down. Although Nick could have passed for George Clooney's bearded, blue-eyed younger brother, his appeal went beyond his good looks. He was, after all, the Moran of Moran Renovations. George Clooney's credits might include Out of Sight and Michael Clayton, but Nick Moran's included exquisitely remodeled kitchens and bathrooms in upscale neighborhoods throughout St. Louis. For the women of those households, the star of Moran Renovations was way hotter than the star of Ocean's Eleven. Although the men of those households might write out the checks to Moran Renovations, the women were the real clients. Few of those husbands shared their wives' passions for the particulars of countertops and cabinet styles and lighting. Nick, though, would listen to the women for hours. He'd sit with them at the kitchen table, leafing through stacks of architectural digest and house beautiful, and spend afternoons shopping with them for the perfect light fixtures or the ideal countertops. Granite? Ceramic tile? Or Cambria quartz? These were profound questions, and Nick treated them as such. There were rumors, of course, but what do you expect? Nothing gets neighbors talking more than the thought of a bored, wealthy wife spending days at home with a handsome contractor in faded Levi's, black T-shirt, and low-slung tool belt. I understood. Nick had remodeled my kitchen and rehabbed the coach house out back for my mother. Barely a week into the kitchen renovations, and I was smitten and embarrassed. Nick was too classy to flirt with his clients. He had the aura of the earnest tradesman devoted to his craft, and thus I resisted the urge, on more than one occasion, to seduce him right there on the new maple floor or atop the Corian counter. I always recommended Nick to friends and colleagues who were thinking about redoing their kitchen or updating their bathrooms. Frankly, he was just about every woman's first choice. According to his office manager, Nick had a three-year waiting list when he died. We, his devotees, were devastated by his death, and as the details emerged, surprised. According to the police report, the two officers came upon Nick's pickup truck shortly after nine in the morning. It was parked along an isolated lane in Forest Park, known to its habitués and the vice squad as Gay Way. The mere juxtaposition of Nick Moran and Gay Way was a shocker for us. On most evenings, the cars begin arriving at Gay Way at sunset, one man per car. They park along the right side of the lane. Some of the men remain in their cars, while others saunter down the lane in search of a suitable companion. The anonymous action takes place in the front seat, and then the visitor returns to his car. Both men eventually drive off, and others take their places. On a typical night, more than a hundred cars come and go. By sunrise, the only evidence of the prior night's activities is the fresh cigarette butts, an empty beer can or two, and a scattering of used condoms. Except on the morning in question. 
Inside that lone pickup truck along Gayway, the cops found Nick's corpse. The body was slumped against the passenger door, pants unzipped, penis exposed, a coil of rubber tubing on the seat next to the body, an empty syringe on the floor. According to the medical examiner, the cause of death was a lethal overdose of heroin. Time of death? sometime the prior evening between 6 p.m. and midnight. I was one of the scores of women who attended Nick's funeral. We outnumbered the men ten to one. Some of us had jobs, while others were from that rarefied breed who consider themselves professional volunteers. But whether we were women who took lunch breaks or ladies who lunch, we generally considered ourselves sophisticated modern women, and thus we struggled to connect the dots between the Nick.